Hey y'all, you're listening to the Faith Church Sermon Podcast. We are so excited that you're connecting with us today. It is our desire for you to grow as a result of the resources we provide here. We pray that this blesses you today as you seek to know Him more. Well, happy April, happy Palm Sunday, happy the beginning of baseball season, happy the day after April Fool's Day, happy accounting month, happy tax season. There seems to be a holiday or season or something to say happy for this in every area of life, which kind of fits in perfectly because we're in this sermon series kind of looking at the fact that there's different seasons in all kinds of ways in our lives. There's, the Bible says, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance, even a time to sing. There are all kinds of different seasons for us to kind of embrace, and we're kind of working through that. And the reason why, just as a review, is because God is infinite. The reason we can kind of do this is God is infinite in his nature. He is loving and just in all his ways. This is super important to remember that God is not anchored to time and space, but we are. We are finite, he is infinite, right? So he is outside of time and space, and because of that, it changes our lives, but he's also loving in everything and just in all his ways. He isn't like, I'm loving in this moment and not just. I'm just in this moment and not loving. No, in everything he does, in all his ways, in all his actions, in all his thoughts, he is always loving and just. And because of these sort of characteristics of who God is, we can kind of yield. We can settle into the fact that there are seasons in our lives where things go in different directions and we don't have to fight it. So I think it's interesting, we'll plan an event in our lives, we do this all the time, we'll plan an event, some event that we want, and it's gonna be a great event, but it requires it to be sunny outside. And we think that we can sort of control the fact that it's going to be sunny outside. The reality is, if it rains, what are you supposed to do, fight it? Like, no. yield to the fact that my God is infinite, loving, and just on sunny days when I want it to be sunny and on rainy days when I want it to be rainy. Whether it's sunny or rainy, fighting it is foolishness. But as sons and daughters of God who know this about him, we can kind of learn to yield to, submit to, surrender to a God who holds all things in his hands who's not anchored to time and space, who loves us with an everlasting love and is just in all his ways. And that's not defeatism. It isn't like, well, because God is loving and just and infinite, I can kind of quesera, sarah, whatever will be, will be. No, it's this active surrender. God, I trust you. I am going to sing and dance on a sunny day and I'm going to sing and dance on a rainy day. On a rainy day, I'm going to weep and on a sunny day, I'm gonna weep. And all of that's gonna happen in the seasons of life. And so we're kind of working our way through Ecclesiastes chapter three. If you have your Bibles, turn them on, open them up. Ecclesiastes three, we're gonna be looking at verse five today. Ecclesiastes three, verse five. Have you figured out how to spell Ecclesiastes? I still haven't. Um, 
what a crazy word, Ecclesiastes 3.5. And in a lot of ways, this is an invitation for us to, to learn a level of peace, to stop fighting, but to learn to yield in the surrender to God's sovereignty. It's an invitation to peace, that if we could recognize the seasons that God brings into our lives and seasons that he's, isn't it kind of cool that no season lasts forever? That like whatever's going to happen, it's going to have a start moment and an end moment. That's incredibly gracious of God. That it isn't like it rains all the time. No, it rains sometimes and then it's sunny. And in every aspect of life, there are hard days that start and they lead to hard seasons. But at some point, the season comes to an end. And God is so gracious, he wants us to understand this and give us peace as we yield to these seasons. So Ecclesiastes 3.5, we're gonna lean into today. And it starts out, sort of the beginning of Ecclesiastes 3, says there's a time and season for everything under heaven. And today, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. So interesting set of verses, a time to embrace and refrain from embracing. We all look at that and go, I get that. But this whole stone section is a little bit odd to me. Why sandwiched in this? Right before this, it says there's a time to rejoice, a time to mourn, time to dance, time to praise God, all this stuff. Then he talks about stones and then embracing and refraining from embracing, scattering and gathering stones as I kind of leaned into that this week, the more I leaned into it and tried to figure out what the heck is with the rocks in the middle of this, I don't really understand. It's kind of confusing. And yet, you look at it and go, okay, God, you put this in your providence through the wisest person who lived, this scattering and gathering of stones right in the middle of this conversation about dancing and rejoicing and mourning and refraining from embracing and embracing what's up with the rocks. And we're gonna lean into it today. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your word that brings things up that we might not talk about, that when we even yield to your word, we can learn things. When we wrestle with your word, we can see things. And so today, God, help us to lean in and to learn. May your Holy Spirit do what I can't do. May it convict us and guide us and teach us and lead us and comfort us through the words of your Bible. I pray this through Christ our Lord, amen. So let's look at this line again. Solomon says there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. He's writing in a different era, right? He's not writing in an era like today where most of the people in his society who he's writing to are agrarian, they're farmers. So if you imagine saying to a farmer, hey farmer, there is a time to gather stones and a time to scatter stones. How would a farmer hear that? They'd go, yeah, that makes sense because rocks are these sort of hard objects that if you take them and use them, you can build things with them, right? You can crack them and make them into different things and harvest minerals. So rocks are incredibly important and they're incredibly annoying, right? It's like they're important and they're useful, but they're also annoying if you dug a hole to put in a new um, mailbox and you hit a big rock, it's super annoying because you can't get around it, right? Or if you're a farmer and you're plowing a field and you want to plant and harvest crops, every time you hit a rock, it gets in the way. Maybe you've driven through the country and you see these rock walls all around, sort of in fields around the area. There's this kind of 
evident rock wall. Like, how did those rock walls get there? Well, farmers were plowing fields, and as they're plowing the fields, they aren't going, you know what I wanna do today? I wanna do a little landscaping. I'm gonna build a rock wall. No, they're plowing fields because they're trying to survive and harvest food, and they take these rocks and they scatter them on the side and they make a line of them, and it works as a kind of wall or a boundary, but it's because they were in the way that they gathered those rocks and they put them in a wall format, right? And so if you said to a farmer, there's a time to gather rocks and do this, they'd go, yes. But if you said to the farmer, well, there's also a time to scatter those same rocks, they'd be like, "Mm, what do you mean? Why would anyone deliberately scatter rocks? And the Hebrew word actually means to cast a rock, to throw a rock into a field. Why would you do that? There's this short little passage in the history of Israel in 2 Kings chapter three, verse 24 through 25, that sheds some light on Solomon's statements. It's a passage telling the history of Israel. Interesting because again, coming from an era that doesn't make sense to me, that Israel would have a time of war and a time for peace. There was times in their wars that they would win and times that they would lose. But this is describing in 2 Kings three twenty-four a season where they won. It says, but when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded their land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They stopped up all the springs and they cut down every good tree. It kind of gives me an insight into how they did war before they had bombs falling out of sky, like what did they do? Well, these guys would go in and they'd just destroy everything. And a part of the way they would destroy things is they'd go to the farm fields where all the rocks are laying on the side and everybody would throw them back in the middle of the field. Why would they do that? It was a way of destroying their ability to succeed in farming in this next season. It was a way of bringing greater destruction Scattering rocks, Israel was bringing further destruction on a group of people. And so we might think Solomon is just repeating himself, right? There's a time to build and a time to destroy. I don't think that is what he's talking about because again, it's sandwiched between mourning and dancing and embracing and refraining from embracing. He's talking about something personal, not about war. In the New Testament, Jesus makes a statement that helps me again further understand what Solomon means. He says in Luke 11, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus, the representative of God in human form, says whoever's not with me is against me, whoever does not gather with me scatters. I'm not sure you notice this about Jesus, but there's really no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. When he walked on planet Earth or today, you either with Jesus, or you're against him. There's no neutral ground. So Jesus is like, you're either for me or against me. So when I consider what Solomon says, there's a time to gather stones and a time to scatter. And I look at the history of Israel, that a part of the reason they would scatter stones is to bring further destruction. And I compare that to what Jesus is saying, if you're not for me, you're against me. I think what Solomon might want us to embrace today is that there's seasons to be for something, and there's seasons to be against something. And I think that's healthy. It's like it's good for God to remind you and me that there's gonna be times, Joe, that you're going to be explicitly for something. And there's gonna be times you're gonna be explicitly against something. 
And that's normal and good to yield to that, that that's a part of human life under heaven. So maybe a dumb example, but you know, like when you like something, you try to join a group of people that like that same thing. So there's some interesting people in our world that really like toy trains, and they're like in their 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s, and they get together and talk about toy trains. I mean, sorry to say this, I think that's weird, but like at the end of the day, I am so glad that the people that wanna get together and talk about toy trains get together and talk about toy trains. I'm glad that they gathered together to talk about trains, and I am so glad that I can stay scattered from them and not talk about toy trains. Right, that there's a place for me to say I will gather with something and there's a place for us to remain scattered from something and to not be a part of that. There's a grace to sort of welcoming that. There's a time to gather and a time to scatter. That under God's heaven, that's cool to be apart from. But when it comes to toy trains, you can't be neutral. Right, like it's, it's either you're gonna love a toy train or you're not gonna love a toy train when you're 60, right? Like it's not like, like when you're little, you're gonna love it, right? But when you're 70, it's kind of weird or kind of great. It's not no in between. And that's I think what Solomon is trying to teach us that there is going to be times that you stand against something and there are gonna be times that you stand for something under heaven. That's normal, it's so freeing to be seasons, to see ourselves in seasons this way. And yet I would say that part of the practical application for us as Christ followers in this regard is there's a, there's a lot of us as followers of Christ that are known more for what we're against than what we're for. That yes, Solomon says there's a season to be for something and a season to be against something, but if as a follower of Christ today, your entire existence is to be against toy trains, you got a problem. And why is it that that is so easy for us to find ourselves like, it's great to go yield to seasons. There's a time to be for and time to be against. But why is it that some of us, our lives under heaven are marked more by what we're against than what we're for? Now, this is not the design of Jesus. And he shows us this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus demonstrates to us how to live in this regard. Matthew 22, 34 through 40, you know with Jesus there's no neutral ground, right? You're either for him or against him. You either love him and want to gather to what he teaches or you hate him and want to scatter what he teaches. And in this scene we have Jesus once again being questioned by people because of how he's behaving. Matthew 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, so among Jesus' contemporaries, there were followers of Judaism called the Sadducees and followers of Judaism called the Pharisees, and they were kind of competing together. Hearing that Jesus had silenced one group, the Pharisees, the other group got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, in a very basic way, we know there are 10 commandments, 
right? And Jesus is being asked among the 10 commandments, but beyond the 10 commandments, there's like 600 other commandments of what you shouldn't do. And Jesus is asked, what should we do? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers, says, love. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love you. He, he could have said, you know what? Don't kill, don't murder, don't sleep around, don't disobey your parents, don't covet. He could have rattled off the, all the thou shalt nots. But instead, Jesus chose to be known for what he was for, not what he was against. He is for loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And in that moment, he didn't rehearse all the things that he was against, demonstrating to us there's a season to be against something, and Jesus was. But that's not what marked his life. What marked his life was love. Loving God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving his neighbor as himself. Yes, there are times to stand against things, my brothers and sisters, but are you known for more what you're against than what you're for? Are you quick to tell everyone all the thou shalt nots in Christianity or in your opinion? Or are you quick to say, I wanna be marked by love? Jesus was marked by love, not hate. Are you marked by love or hate? Jesus was marked by peace, not division. Are you marked by peace or division? Jesus was marked by truth. Are you marked by truth or falsehood? There's a time to be against something, to scatter stones, but that's not the overarching role of the Christ follower. Be known for what you're for, loving God and loving your neighbor, not what you're against. I kinda wanna bring up just a little maybe practical way of seeing how this works for me personally and maybe how it might work in our church. So in our society today, there's lots of things to say we're against and there's lots of things to say we're for. And in modern society today, in the Church of Jesus Christ, there's this interesting conversation happening today about online church. There is a time to engage with church online, right? And so like, I wanna be forthright and say to you that I am for engaging with church online. But there's a lot of people in Christianity saying, no, COVID's over, we gotta get rid of the online church thing. Well, let me share with you why I'm for engaging with church online. There's a number of seasons and situations that people find themselves in that makes sense to me. Is that someone who's seeking, seeking God, that what a great thing for them to have online experience. Like there are people right now watching who are far from God, they're de-churched, they're unchurched, they're agnostic, they're atheists, they're just exploring what is Christianity. What an incredible tool that this camera allows them to look into what is Christianity for them to learn. Or, or maybe someone's watching right now and they're in a tr one tribe of Christianity and they're considering moving to another tribe of Christianity. Or they're in one church and it's struggling and they're thinking about attending another church. What an incredible tool technology gives us to engage online before you ever show up on campus. That's an incredible thing. Or I think of illness, like if you have the flu right now, thank you for staying home. I really appreciate it, right? But right now there are people in hospital beds watching us. There are people that are chronically ill in homes where they can't physically come. I am so glad that our technology brings the hope of Christ to people who are chronically or physically ill or who are caring for the people who are chronically ill. 
They can now, through technology, be able to engage with Jesus because of technology. Or I think of anxiety. This is a real thing that people, their anxiety gets to a point where they can't be in crowds. I am so glad that technology allows us to engage with people who struggle with crowds and anxiety in places where there's lots of people. Now, They can engage with us or work. Thank God there are nurses and doctors and people in the service industry and all kinds of ways in our society that are working right now. That they can't come to church and I'm so glad this technology brings us to them and they can engage with. I think of location. We have missionary partners right now around the globe who have no access to a church anywhere that now can engage because we use technology, or you're, you're in a space where there's no churches around you that are preaching the Bible, or you're away on vacation or away on work and you want to engage with your church family, or you're incarcerated and watching us online in a prison right now. How incredible is it? I am so for us as a church engaging people online for these reasons. But I will say I am against people watching us online that these aren't your reasons, but you just like being in your pajamas. Like there's something missing there. Like you look at this list and it's like at the end of the day, if you've fallen into a rut or a habit of thinking that online watching church and it has nothing to do with this, but you're just lazy or you just got into a bad habit or you go, you know what, I like worship and I like teaching, but I don't like people, so I'm not coming to church or it's just inconvenient. Can I encourage you? that you're needed here, you're part of the body of Christ, and whether this church or another church, get involved with a local church. But at the end of the day, I wanna be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against. So I'm gonna talk more about this than all the reasons I'm against something, because that's not who Jesus is. He's constantly saying, here's what I'm for, I'm for loving people, and there's a lot of people to be loved in these categories. Solomon gives us Ecclesiastes 3, 5, to say there's a time to gather and a time to scatter, a time to be for something and a time to be against something. He goes on to say there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And in this, in the language he's using, he's talking about a physical or sexual embrace, that we are made as humans with physical bodies. We are made as sexual beings. And we're designed to embrace and also refrain from embracing. So yes, within the context of marriage, between one man and one woman, sexual embrace is a design and a good gift from God to unite us together, husband and wife, in a lifelong relationship to reproduce and to experience intimacy. This is a good gift from God. There's a time to embrace sexually. But let's be honest, Solomon's words are super true. There's times I'm seeing people in our society embracing sexually and I'm like, hey, I'm not down with your PDA. Solomon says, stop it, right? Like there's a place to embrace as a couple, like get a room. I mean like, you know, go, like why are we watching this? There's a place for that for the sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in their homes, but not in public. But I think beyond this, this is not what Solomon's main thought is here. He really wants to encourage us beyond sexual things that physical touch is super important as a part of our design. That God made us, and we have so over-sexualized any kind of touch 
that we're actually missing a good part of God's design, that we're designed for physical touch of a handshake, a hug, a kiss on the cheek, to express affections, to embrace one another as brothers and sisters and as humans, that it's so sad to me that a kindergarten teacher can't hug a student anymore, and I understand why. But that's problematic in human development because when children aren't touched in appropriate ways by people around them, there's something in their growth that's stunted. And in our society, because of all our sexualization and sin, we've taken good design of embrace, healthy, appropriate physical touch, removing that from our society. And there's consequences to that. We're designed to show affection to one another physically. Now, you might be surprised by this. I am a hugger. I know, that's surprising. And I've learned something really interesting. Some of you aren't. (laughs) Not everyone likes hugs. I know, that's so shocking. So I've learned to approach people and say, can I give you a hug? And most times they go like this. Right, and that's okay. If someone, when you ask for a hug or offer to give a hug and they don't wanna give a hug, there's a reason why they don't wanna hug you. And you don't wanna give them a sermon to say, well, Solomon says there's a time to embrace, like, (laughs) stop. There's a reason in a story why someone doesn't want physical touch. I get it. But at the end of the day, to go through your entire existence, to go through life without a handshake, a hug, a fist bump, physical contact is a way we're being deprived of God's design of affection that we all desperately need. Can I talk to you parents out there? Whether you're huggers or not huggers, every parent needs to hug. And it doesn't matter if their children are little. Yes, as infants, Your children need hugs. As toddlers, your children need hugs. But your teenager needs a hug. I know they don't want it. I know they say they don't need it. Your teenager needs a hug. Your young adult needs a hug. Your adult son or daughter needs a hug because with a hug comes the nonverbal communication that you matter, that I'm with you, that I'm for you, Everything's okay. But we've missed this in our society. So whether you're a hugger or not a hugger, if you're a parent, become a hugger. Express yourself to your children because it's an aspect of their development at whatever stage they're missing and you were designed to provide that for them. Here's a super interesting right turn that the Bible says. Like five times in the Bible, we're told something that's like, huh, greet one another with a holy kiss. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Interesting that the Bible would command five times to us as daughters and sons of God to greet one another with a holy kiss. I wanna make sure that you know this four-letter word is holy, not a different four-letter word that starts with an H. A holy kiss. This isn't permission to kiss each other. It is in a society where we may not kiss one another. It is a command for us to show expression to one another in mutual affection. 
whether it's a hug or a handshake or a fist bump, to show affection, brother or sister, together is a part of God's design for us. And so Peter, the apostle, will write, finally, all of you, be like-minded. He's talking to the family of God. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. It's this reminder, this encouragement, this command to you and me that there's something about the family of God where we're intended, designed, commanded to show each other affection. And then he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. It's not like, oh, optional. It's you were designed to need physical affection. And to the extent that we don't show that to each other, it's a part of why I look into the camera and say, if you're not in one of these categories of work or illness or you're seeking God or you're in a different location, if you can't be with us, come and be with us because we need to hug you and you need to be hugged. We need to hear your bad voice. We need to hear your good voice. We need to be together because we're designed to be heart to heart, hand to hand, Together, face to face, it's how we're made and wired and to the degree that we're not together in a small group or in a gathering on a Sunday, we're missing some of this that's desperately needed. When Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3 gives us all of these seasons, he's inviting us to experience some level of peace that when we yield to God's seasons, we're able to experience God's peace. So there's a time to be against something and experience God's peace. There's a time to be for something and experience God's peace. There's a time to refrain from something and experience God's peace. There's a time to embrace each other and experience God's peace that as we sort of lean into this, we experience God's peace together. Would you pray with me? God, thank you again for your word that instructs us on things that sometimes seem like, wow, why are we talking about this? But your word is alive and active and gives us all kinds of ways to learn and grow. So we thank you for Solomon's words about stones that need to be gathered or scattered to teach us the lesson that it's healthy to be for something and healthy to be against something. Solomon's reminder that there's a value to embracing one another and refraining from embracing. So teach us lessons to experience your peace and your purpose as we interact with one another and as we interact with those who are not a part of your family. God, I thank you for our online community. I thank you that you're working to help people online find and follow Jesus. I pray you would bless them. God, if there are friends online that kind of know that they've been forsaking meeting with other people, I pray they would find a small group, find a church, get connected with a family because we need them hand to hand, heart to heart, voice to voice. Would you please help us and strengthen us today in Christ's name, amen.